Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Beyond Sleep Training Podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing real tales of how people have managed sleep in their family outside of sleep training culture because sleep looks different with a baby in the house. And because every family is different, there is no one size fits all approach to take. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, the Kalkadoon people. I pay my respects to the elders of this nation and the many other nations our guests reside in from the past, present and emerging. We honour Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and the unique cultural and spiritual relationships to the land, water and seas, as well as their rich contributions to society, including the birthing and nurturing of children. Welcome back to the Beyond Sleep Training <laughs> podcast. I'm your host, Carly Grubb. This week's guest is Amanda Sawyer, who comes to you all the way from Canada and I'd like to welcome Amanda as someone who volunteered to come and talk to me on the show through our group, the Beyond Sleep Training Project. So hi, Amanda. Would you like to introduce hi, yourself and your little family? Yes. Hi, everybody. Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, my name is Amanda. I am from Canada. I live in Alberta. And um, I have uh, my husband, Christian, we have two dogs and we have, I like how I introduce my dogs first. <laughs> but we the babies have, before the babies. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We did have them first. Yeah. And then we've got um, one son who's two and a half and we have another baby on the way who's due January of uh, 2022. So about halfway there. And then we're going to see how uh, life changes with two. <laughs> Very exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Very special. Now, just to get us started on your story then beyond sleep training, what sort of ideas did you have around sleep before you had your first babe? Um, honestly, I went into it with very little knowledge. Um, I want to say I did start doing some reading. I actually joined the beyond sleep training group uh, prior to giving birth because I wanted to sort of network and get some experience uh, 
related from other moms and other parents and things. And so that's kind of where I started to get my um, instincts and things that I wanted to follow because I knew I kind of wanted to take a gentle, a gentler approach. Um, I remember when my son was quite young, I went to a big mom's, um, uh, I guess it was like a, an expo sort of thing where they had all different kinds of vendors and booths with information. And there was one that was specific to sleep training. And the way that it came off to me was that it was the opposite of how I felt. And it just felt like it almost was as if they were like preying on tired mothers <laughs> and they were just, and it was very uh, sales driven, a sales pitch. And so I think my son was only a couple months old at that time, but that's sort of where I started to uh, get the idea that I, I liked following my instincts. I went off of a lot of natural instinct. Um, and so prior to having a baby, I just, I, I knew I wanted to let things go naturally. And I, the only thing that we sort of prepared was to have a bassinet beside the bed. So we knew we were going to have the baby in our room for the first, they recommend six months, even better a year. And so we were completely prepared for that. We knew we wanted to have the baby close by because I also was very adamant on breastfeeding. So I wanted to have, make sure that baby was right beside me because I knew that was going to be um, a constant thing. <laughs> if Well, honestly, I wasn't too prepared for how constant, but you figure that out as you go. <laughs> um, but that was the only thing that we really prepared ourselves with was just to have a bassinet by the bed. And then when it came to how often and what the timeline was like and what schedules were like and things like that, that was all day by day. <laughs> Amazing. So you, when you found us, so you already had this idea that you were going to need to have babe nice and close to you. Uh, with the bassinet set up so that you'd be able to breastfeed. That sounds like way ahead of where most people are in terms of actually being prepared for the fact that that's going to be a good way to help you get some rest. Did you have in your head that um, that you'd eventually want to have babe in a cot in a separate room or was the plan always going to be that you would be wanting to keep them nearby? Um, I knew that I wanted to transition him to his own room eventually but I was very flexible on when I didn't want to push it I always wanted to let him take the lead and just see where because he always had a bedroom um, that I sort of had set up as a nursery and all the change table and everything was in there but and we had a crib set up but I knew that I had no idea when he would go into it I <laughs> but it pretty much just held laundry for a good almost a year <laughs> actually over a year because yeah we had him we ended up having him sleep in our bed for a while and then we transitioned him to his room um where I still would because we had the monitor set up and I would still uh respond instantly the same way I would when he was in the bedroom with because I nursed him up until just recently he weaned naturally um I think I don't know if it's because I'm pregnant or what but <laughs> he ended up making it we made it to two and a half years of nursing and so that's amazing well done it was always on demand and so when he ended up being in his own room I I would go in and it would turn into I'd nurse him to sleep <laughs> 
So when you nurse him to sleep, so obviously like as he got bigger and whatnot, was were you still then like putting him into a cot or had you set up a different way to arrange things? We set up a, I guess it, if a crib is the same as a cot to bigger, yes, sorry, yes. Um, bigger than the best night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sorry. Um, I'm yeah, realizing I'm just saying cot. Oh, that's all right. Yeah. No, I know you guys say nappies too. So I'm, <laughs> I know a little bit of the lingo difference. <laughs> that's one but, thing about the project, isn't it? Cause we've got such a global audience. I feel like all the terms, especially because we have an Australian base, we have yes. a lot of our Australian terms. And so we've heard this from a lot of our um, volunteers that they quickly start like connecting the dots, but in the Australian brain, it's actually, yeah, sorry about that. Oh, no, that's all right. Yeah, I was just making sure that I was um, yes, responding the with the same technical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're there. But, yeah, yeah. At least, you know, we're all global and well far apart, but we all seem to have a lot in common. Some It seems to come up that we do. <laughs> Absolutely. And so you were using the cot at that point yeah. or had you set up a separate surface again? Uh, this was the cot at this time. And so I would take him out. Uh, he was in a sleep sack. And uh, so I would just sit upright. Uh, one thing I learned my lesson on and that I will maybe get for this baby is I didn't have a proper nursing chair. I just had a I, I brought in a kitchen chair <laughs> into his bedroom because oh. I thought whatever I can, I can handle it. I'm a, <laughs> I'm strong. And so I would sit in this kitchen chair um, nursing this toddler or this like large baby <laughs> and that would be but tough honestly, on the arms it was but I think instinct and just you know it it ran its course and it just you know it was what I knew to do and what worked and I would nurse him to sleep and I just lay him gently and he would and he'd sleep through the night but he honestly the wakeful time through the night were very seldom when we he did transition to the cot there you go so this is something for people listening along too because quite often like the transfer is just something that so many kiddos just won't be a part of um so it's also good to hear from somebody who you know there's no harm in trying these things if you've got a baby who can transfer then it's absolutely a valid option for you as well. Did you find that when um, you felt a difference between your levels of fatigue from when you had babe in your room with you to when you needed to get up to tend to him in the other room or did you kind of wait until the wakefulness had eased a bit before you did that so it wasn't so intense for you? Um, I feel it was it was about the same. It felt very similar um, and... And he just, I got very lucky where his wakefulness, I think once he was in his own room, I would always nurse him to sleep. And then, and I, I, I don't even like to brag about it. Sometimes I was in a new mom's group and they'd ask, oh, how long is everyone's baby sleeping at night? And mine was going around 12 hours because <laughs> he's just, he's been a great sleeper for a long time. I probably, I won't be as blessed with this baby perhaps. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's a really, really important part of the story too, because it's almost assumed that if you do these things like nurse your baby to sleep and then pop them down, that you're going to have a wakeful baby. Like that's the cause of it. Whereas yeah. your little fellow is obviously a, a great example of 
a baby who just sleeps the way he needs to sleep and he calls when he needs to call you and you help him when he needs your help. Um, it, yeah. He's not asking for anything more or less than what he actually needed, which is amazing. Right. Yeah. And I found that the only thing that was really important and really mattered was that we were responsive and it was always me. I sort of took that on myself. We have a, um, a full year of maternity leave in Canada. And then I ended up actually, um, just staying home with him after that because, you know, <laughs> things change. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So exactly right. And, but anyways, the first year and you're preparing for it. So I knew like, uh, this is me all in. And so what was important to me was that if he did call for me at night that I was responding because I breastfeeding was something that I knew prior to giving birth was that I wanted to give it a very good go. I knew that it was going to be on demand. I knew that I wanted to, um, have a good supply and that meant nursing often. And so it stayed that way even when he was in his own room where I would make sure that I went in every time. You had such good breastfeeding knowledge. Had you done, did you know breastfeeding parents before you had your babe or where did, where did all of that knowledge come from? It actually, um, interestingly enough, I worked in before, uh, staying at home with my kids, almost kids. Um, I was in the dental field. And so I worked in a dental office where we actually performed, uh, tongue tie release on infants. And so there was a lot of um, training and knowledge that got passed along because we would have toddlers or infants come in that were the moms were having trouble nursing. And it was because of different severities of tongue tie. And so I got to see and learn about different patients and the importance of nursing. And our dentist was very knowledgeable. So I feel like that's where I kind of got the first, we would have a lactation consultant come in as well. And that's where we got a lot of our referrals. And so being pregnant in that office, I found that it was so beneficial to have all these connections and resources that I could look into. And so that's where I sort of, I knew the importance of breastfeeding prior to giving birth because of all of this exposure to uh, nursing mothers and... That's an amazing setup. And I guess that also probably opened your mind, like, you know, knowing that you needed to be able to nurse frequently around the clock to be able to maintain your supply. It kind of gives you a different version of how you're expecting to parent overnight if you know that that's going to be a priority for you. Right. Oh, that's so yeah. cool. I'm glad. Yeah. That's, a, that's a really interesting way to have come into parenthood. I'm, that's impressive. It was I like very, it. very interesting and a blessing for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. So when, you know, we know that babe, ultimately he was pretty fantastic sleeper. Was it always like that? Like what was as a newborn, how, how was life looking with sleep with your babe? There were periods and that's where I find that I would try to relay some of my experience to other new moms because I found it was important. There was one thing I didn't know about and that was cluster feeding. Um, that was something that I had to figure out what was going on, what was happening because it hit hard. <laughs> Absolutely. And in the newborn stages, um, he was nursing so intensely and so frequently that it was confusing and tiring. And, but I just went in, I started doing some looking up and I, 
I might've even found something on the beyond sleep training group, honestly, because I was so, I was in such a deep dive on that page too, (laughs) that I learned about cluster feeding, which was a term I'd never heard of. And so everything in my instincts told me to push through and it would be beneficial to supply and to establishing strong a strong breastfeeding bond with my son and it worked and it was absolutely exhausting but (laughs) um I pretty much I I knew what I was signing up for in a way because I would just set myself up on the couch I'd watch a lot of tv because he would just constantly nurse and I'd have my snacks and my water (laughs) and then eventually um I'd say it was when he was about six, seven months old is when we started getting the sleeping through the night. But other than that, it was me sort of preparing on multiple feeds per night. The newborn stage was, I'd say for the first three months, almost four months was a cluster feeding party. (laughs) Nice. And and by following Babe, you were able to know that you were getting your supply to whatever they needed for that growing stage. That's I found similar with my babies. And you'll Mm -hmm. find it with your second baby. It's so interesting because they are all quite different, but and their versions of cluster feeding can be quite different. But I found all three of mine definitely did have patches of cluster feeding. And it's reassuring to know that it's their little body doing the job they need to to make sure that your body can produce what they need to produce as well. So exactly. I tried to remind myself of that because I think that's a time when a lot of um moms will they think that their uh, supply is low and then so the supplementing starts um which it is the case for some but I thought you know what I'm um going to something there was a lot of honestly instincts in my body with a lot of the things that I did do um parenting and and sleeping yeah keeping an eye on your baby's output because nappies really don't lie generally like they're a pretty good sign of, of how babes actually receiving um milk yes. and and how their body is able to process it and whatnot and I remember like that that was some of the best information I ever had when I was freaking out about cluster feeding baby was to check the output as long as the output was really good then you could rest assured that babe was very well nourished yeah <laughs> and they were just yeah. boosting that supply up to handle their next big growth stage so that's yeah it's, exactly it's, uh, yeah it's a bit of a confidence game, but there are those little signs that you can look out for to know that babe's going okay. So with mm-hmm. daytime, so we know that nighttime was obviously pretty, pretty impressively amazing for you, you and your babe. Um, <laughs> yes. but, but what was daytime looking like for you in terms of naps and things like that? Interesting uh, topic because that was one thing that also came instinctually for me was contact napping. That was a big thing that just ended up happening. Um, It wasn't something that I prepared for. I didn't even prepare myself on how often babies should nap at certain ages. Um, I know that I had a lot of advice come from family members and other people that had babies. And you kind of get lots of different ideas Um, A lot of people sort of wondered, oh, do you ever put him down? Does he ever get (laughs) in a... No. (laughs) And the answer was, and, you know, you say sometimes, but pretty much I want to say like majority of the time, I just let him sleep on my chest. (laughs) 
<laughs> and it was fine for me. It didn't bother me one bit. I didn't feel like I was crazy about having to do things when he was asleep or I found that it was just, you know, what I, what I needed to do. And, and it felt nice. And I tried not to let, um, the pressure of others or keeping a clean house or things like that get to me. Cause I knew that, especially in that first year, it was going to go by so quickly and that, and I didn't feel like I was spoiling him. I didn't feel like there was anything detrimental that I was doing. I thought in my mind and in my heart, like, no, there's no problem with this. <laughs> and your heart and mind were correct. That's amazing. And I love that you were able yes. to do it without those feelings of guilt. Cause so often people come to contact napping feeling so conflicted about the experience. And I know that with my first guy, it still pains me to know that um, out of my three babies, he probably contact napped more than the other two. And yet I have no photos, none of me contact napping with him. And it goes, right. it really speaks to the fact that I, I felt really guilty about it. It wasn't something I was savoring at all. Um, whereas with my second and third baby, I really relish that time. And there's so many photos of baby snuggled up tight on my chest and it's a beautiful memory but yeah it's yeah. Still a little bit heartbreaking that I missed that with my first so I'm glad you got that with your first it's hard with the first though when you do because it's it's not like I didn't have you know some awkwardness when people would ask um if you know or they'd say oh are you ever going to put him down or you need to learn how to you know they'll kind of encourage you to strings and all yeah yeah he's exactly and so it was like I had I definitely had a hard time feeling confident around other people when I was responding um I loved when I was able to relate to other people that were doing the same thing that's when I really relished in in my decision but it's even though no matter what kind of um responses I was getting I knew that it was still what I was going to do no matter what <laughs> so I never I, I never forced myself to do do anything different but it's funny with your first baby that that's kind of you feel like you don't know everything and you're kind of taking advice but you at the same time want to do things that feel good for you and good for your baby that feel natural and then the second one comes around and you've been there and you think, okay, I don't have as much pressure, I feel like, because I know I can do it this way. And Absolutely, so I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing what the experience is like with the second one now. <laughs> Absolutely. I know second baby, I definitely got good at breastfeeding, walking around and I got yeah. the baby carrier got to work out. That's for sure. But we've worked it out. Like you figure it out. No worries. Like it's not. And I know it can be intimidating beforehand. And sometimes the things that work for your first babe don't work so well with your second and you get that, oh my gosh, what do I do now? Um, but otherwise, yeah, it's just a yeah. different kind of, um, there's not that same level of doubt, that's for sure. With, so where do we, we haven't really talked about your support crew yet. So it sounds like you had an amazing access to leave, which I know not everybody listening along has that kind of access to leave. But in terms of support right. in your life outside of you having some extended leave at home, how did that look for you guys? Um, I'd say one thing that was very important was that I joined a new mom's group. And so it was, uh, I think it was 
perhaps about 12 weeks long and we would meet weekly and it was led by the health uh, services in our province. And so we got a lot of information on um, just different levels of care. When you start solids, there was some things about sleep where I feel like a lot of um, organizations are getting a little bit more open-minded about sleep and, and people doing things Great. You know, it's not, it's not all cookie cutter. Um, so I found that that was very supportive, but just having being in the same boat, cause it was a new mom's group. So I was in a group with, uh, five other new moms that we were all in the same boat. Babies were all the same age. And so we still keep in touch and we still have a text group where we, you know, we're all talking about potty training now cause we've all got toddlers, <laughs> but that was a big support system. I definitely say family members. Um, also, I just have a really great husband. He's very hands-on and <laughs> he's always been very um, great at uh, letting me have some me time and he kind of takes over and knows, okay, she needs a bath, leave mom alone. <laughs> but yeah. at the same time, you know, it's just having a good, uh, just good people around you. I got very lucky. Um, and then I'd say just a lot of it was natural instinct um that, is how I kind of went into it so did yeah, could you say that before you'd had a baby did you have a really strong sense of self like have you would you say that you're quite a self-confident person who could trust yourself before a baby yeah I'd say so yeah and well in some ways for sure there's definitely like different levels of yeah of confidence and things but for the most part um, especially when it came to nurturing and motherhood, I, I didn't doubt myself in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, you do have your moments, of course, where, yeah. where you're just tired and everybody does, yeah. um, because everything's different and it's not all, um, consistent. You're not having the same day every single day and routines aren't going to be the same all the time, but, um, I found that I just knew that I was, I always wanted to be a mother. And so <laughs> it's I something really that, love, yeah. I really love that. And I love that you could, you could trust yourself because I feel like that's some of the things that's um, really challenging for a lot of people when they head into like their matrescence, becoming a parent, um, that it, it can take some time to actually find your feet. So it's amazing to hear from somebody who was able to, just nestle on in straight into those instincts. It's really powerful. So yeah, I'm really pleased we got to hear that part of your story. Can you tell me as um, being uh, someone who was going to breastfeed on demand and followed through with that and nurtured the way that you felt was right, what were some of the helpful things you found for your partner? Like how was he able to be a part of that relationship with you and your baby? Um, I would say... I, I think he, just any of the decisions, there was never any pushback. I don't know if that's something that's common where, um, you know, I knew right away that I wanted to have a bassinet beside the bed and he trusted that that was the right thing to do. Um, I know that some of, you know, people that he knows or people that we've, you know, friends of ours have always gone, you know, straight to a crib in the nursery. And so it's not like he didn't have knowledge that there were other ways but he always was very trusting in choices that I made and choices that I felt 
So that was a good feeling as not having um, to defend myself on things that I thought were important. Um, I know he did want to be a part of that was definitely a challenge for us was that he wanted to do some of the feeding and I didn't pump. I just exclusively breastfed. Um, I did later on try and he did feed a couple bottles, but it just it was more work than we needed to do. And it was always yeah. just um, easier and ready. And we had a great thing going with me nursing. So um, that was one thing that I felt kind of bad that he missed out on, but he was able to, you know, show, you know, bond with the baby in other ways with playing and rocking to sleep. He was great with that was he would always go in sometimes and just try rocking and, um, he did contact napping too. Honestly, if our son would fall asleep on his chest, it's not like he was ready to just go lay him down somewhere. He also relished in having his baby sleep on his chest too. So it, we, there were times where he got to do the same sweet, caring things too. So <laughs> that's a beautiful thing. And I think too, I know that sometimes with that first baby, where all the intensity um, can feel like it's all about the boobs. I know once yes. our baby's got that bit older and it, and especially once you're welcoming a second or third baby and whatnot, there's all the toddlers and there's all the other things that go into the care of raising a child that become so much broader for your partner as well. Like I, I think there's a certain, it's almost like that first baby, there's a little bit of figuring out how you will fit together in this puzzle so I think that's a pretty normal experience people go through so yeah I wouldn't say you were alone on that at all yeah it, it'll be interesting to see with the second one how much because I had only my one son to spend all this time breastfeeding with and contact napping with but now it'll be with a toddler and a newborn and so it'll be interesting to see what that's going to look like and how um my partner will be involved with a lot of I think the toddler's care my when you know he'll be three at the time when the baby's born so there'll be a lot more I think dad doing the baths and bedtime and that kind of thing but it's a nice mix-up I know that we found that even with as far as the extended family goes once you've got a um, more than one little person requiring care it's much easier for everyone to chip in it's not like you're treading on each other's toes because there's plenty to be done so yes you're right about that (laughs) it's good fun for that and it's pretty exciting times for you guys getting ready for that second baby now I'm just looking at our time and we're actually coming up to our 30 minutes already you've given some amazing tips and and tricks that you have worked for you guys with your first babe do you have a particular tip though that you'd like to share with our listeners I would say um don't feel pressure from others. That's a big one. (laughs) Um, Take everything with a grain of salt, but also just follow your instincts um, and don't be afraid to contact nap. (laughs) That's probably the main thing that got me through. And that's the most important to me. (laughs) It's so lovely. And it's great to actually be able to reflect back on that and see that it was important to you so it's it's great that you were able to yes. hold on to that and relish it and it's it's the kind of stuff that sears into your memory for all time so that's very precious well thank you so right. much for coming on today amanda and really looking forward to hearing when you welcome your second babe we might be able to get you back on down the track so we can hear how things panned out with your second little love as well 
you bet that would be really cool (laughs) well thank you so much for coming on and yeah looking forward to talking to you again soon thanks amanda yes thank you carly thanks so much (laughs) i really hope you enjoyed the podcast today the information we discussed was just that information only it is not specific advice If you take any action following something you've heard from our show today, it is important to make sure you get professional advice about your unique situation before you proceed, whether that advice be legal, financial, accounting, medical, or any other advice. Please reach out to me if you do have any questions or if there's a topic you'd really like us to be covering. And if you know somebody who'd really benefit from listening to our podcast, please be sure to pass our name along. Also check out our free peer support group, the Beyond Sleep Training Project and our wonderful website, www.littlesparklers.org. If you'd like even more from the show, you can join us as a patron on Patreon and you can find a link for that in our show notes. If listening is not really your jam, we also make sure we put full episode transcripts on our Little Sparklers website for you to also enjoy and fully captioned YouTube videos as well on our Little Sparklers channel. So thanks again for listening today. We really enjoy bringing this podcast to you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.